Romans chapter 12, verse 1. All right, let's read it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So chapter 12, we made it, right? It's been a while here in the book of Romans, and it's been good. Um, But this passage here in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is perhaps one of the best explanations of what it means to be a Christian. Um, It's worth memorizing um, for sure. I recommend perhaps that you write it down this week and visit it throughout the week. But it marks a major division in the book of Romans. Uh, Chapters 1 through 11, we could say is doctrine, doctrine, right? And it is uh, knowing who God is and what he's done for us. It's a study there in chapters 1 through 11 of how we become Christians, We realize how utterly bankrupt we are in sin, how lost we are in sin, and how God has loved us and saved us, not by what we do, but strictly by grace through faith in what God has done for us there on the cross. So Paul has gone into some huge detail in chapters 1 through 11 of of how salvation works. And these things that just kind of blow our minds. Well, chapter 12 is kind of a little bit of a change here in the book. From doctrine, Paul seems to go to maybe devotion, we could say. How does this play out in our life? What does this mean to us? So again, chapters 1 through 11, it's what God has done for us. Uh, Chapters 12 through the end, chapter 16, is, is our response to what God has done for us in verses one and two really kind of sum it up for us uh, what our response ought to be to everything that God has done for us. It's a little bit of this balance between faith and works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. You know, my phone is going off. Shame on me. Um, <laughs> uh, we're saved by grace through faith. There's nothing you can add to that. But then we read guys like James and John in their letters. And James says in James chapter 2, verse 20, uh, verse 17, that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, right? So he goes on in verse 20 and verse 26 to say almost the same thing, that faith Without works is dead faith. If we're saved by grace through faith, then we need to have faith. Well, what does that look like? James says, well, it leads to a change in life. And that's actually pretty easy to see, right? Just in practical life, if you believe something, it has to change the way you live. Now, catch that. If you believe something, it has to change the way you live. A simple illustration of this that's always stuck in my mind is if, you know, somehow I, I look, you know, over in the corner over here and I see this little box. It's not a Christmas gift. It's a box with some wires on it. Wires. And it's got a clock. It's got to be a red digital clock, right? It's counting down, right? It's at the 30 seconds. Tick, 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 tick. 
it's strapped to maybe some red sticks, <laughs> dynamite perhaps. <laughs> now, you get it? If I look over in the corner here and I see that, tick, 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 and I realize in my head, I've got 30 seconds and this thing's going to blow, I think, right? Now, if, now check this out, if I truly believe that, it will lead to a change in action. I may look at it and I may go, guys, out, everybody out, it's a lot. And I may not even get the word out. (laughs) I just start getting people out and dragging people out. I would do that because I really do believe that there's a bomb in the corner of the room. If you're catching what I'm saying here, if I really believe that, it must lead to a change in how I live. If it doesn't lead to a change in how I live, then I probably don't believe it, or I've got some kind of death wish, right? Uh, If I don't run out of the room, then I probably don't believe that that bomb is going to hurt us all in 30 seconds. You get it? So faith, any belief in our life, has to lead to action, or else it's not really faith. It's not really something we believe. And this is important, right? Because we're saved by grace through faith. So all these things in chapters 1 through 11 that we've been talking about, we believe them. We believe that we're sinners, as Paul has told us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We believe that the wages of sin is death. Um, But the gift of God, we believe, is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, took our sins. Now, all of these things put together, so much more, right? Chapters 1 through 11, just scratching the surface of salvation and what God has done for us. But if we now believe that, it has to change the way we live. Uh, We'll talk about that more in the end, but it has to change the way we live. And that brings us to Paul's encouragement to us in verse 1 of chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, therefore, in light of everything that God's done for us, chapters 1 through 11, therefore, I beg you, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And we zero in on this term, living sacrifice, because that's what the Christian life is meant to look like, a living sacrifice. Well, what's a living sacrifice? Paul is probably talking about the full burnt offering here. It makes the most sense. Full burnt offering. And for that, we find ourselves turning to the book of Leviticus. Man, we've talked about Leviticus a lot lately. Maybe this next year you want to study the book of Leviticus. (laughs) But turn to Leviticus chapter 1. Hold your place in Romans. And turn to Leviticus chapter 1. Way back at the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 1. So the beginning of the book of Leviticus talks about the different sacrifices and offerings that the people of Israel might have offered there in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Um, Let's read it. Verse 1. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him, From the tabernacle of meetings, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, 
Let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle meeting before the Lord. Then, now check this out. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and lay wood under the under on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, the on order on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. Uh, but he shall wash entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all, burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So here we see this burnt offering, right? And it's bloody, right? This is a whole different world. It's a good visual for sure, but a whole different world. And God says, um, tell them if they bring an offering as a burnt offering, uh, they bring it, they cut it into pieces. Well, actually, first, they lay their hand on it. So there's this strange kind of transfer, the spiritual kind of relationship that the person offering, offering the sacrifice has with the offering, the sacrifice. They put their hand on it. And the same was true with the sin offering, right? You would take your hand and you put it on this offering, this animal, before you would sacrifice it. And you're making some kind of a relationship with this animal. This animal somehow represents me. If the sacrifice is for sin, then we realize when that animal is dying and being sacrificed that it's dying because of the things that you did. There's this relationship. Here, with a full burnt offering, a relationship is made with the sacrifice that says, this is what I want my life to be like. This is my life. Now, if your life was given as a sacrifice, your life would be over, right? So this relationship is made with the sacrifice. And here, the priest would cut it into pieces after it killed it. It would wash certain parts and burn all. That's the key phrase there, burn all. So in the whole burnt offering, every bit of the sacrifice is consumed by the fire. Now, Back to Romans chapter 12. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, offer your body, present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's his whole burnt offering. So what we're realizing here is that our life is totally consumed to God. That's a picture of the Christian life. A life totally consumed by God. And consider the visual of that sacrifice. As you looked and you said, God, this is how I want my life to be. That it's no longer I who live, as Paul would say there uh, in, in uh, Galatians, I believe it is. Let's see. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's the picture here. God, I want my life to be totally consumed for you. Um, it's what Paul would say, I think, in Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ. I want my life to be totally given over to him. 
Now, notice, it's not just that we present our bodies a sacrifice. We present our bodies a living sacrifice. Again, if our bodies and our lives were just a sacrifice, there'd be no more of us. There'd be no more life, right? But a living sacrifice, the way this plays out then is that we live our lives fully for God. That's our life. Now, we worry about this. We start to worry. And we say, but it's my life. And, you know, I want to live my life. I have some dreams and I have some desires in my life, right? And we go, but I want to live. I want to live those dreams. I want to live those things out. Now, sometimes the dreams that we're given, the ideas that we're given by God, they're for a purpose. The heart that he's given us for certain things. It's for a purpose. It's part of that, right? But sometimes we get this regret. You know what I mean? And we say things like, oh man, that guy over there, he's really living the life, you know? And he's whatever it is, partying, traveling, whatever it is that's on his list of living the life. And we go, well, I don't want to just live my life for Jesus. That just sounds like I'm wasting it or something. And we have this wrong perspective that if we offer our life totally to God, he's going to make it miserable, right? Don't we? He's going to send us somewhere where we don't want to go. He's going to ask us to give everything up and oh, it would just be miserable. But yet the Bible presents it as this is the true life. Jesus said about himself that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Man, real life. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, we're shown this picture of life without Christ that it's dead. We don't necessarily see it that way most of the time. We see life with Christ as well as dead. And my life's going to be over, right? But that's not the reality of what God says and what, what life really is. So a living sacrifice is really the only true form of life that there is. Notice, a living sacrifice is holy there in the middle of verse 1. Holy. Um, holy means set apart for God's work. Uh, that's what our life ought to look like. Uh, in the temple and in the tabernacle, right? Back to Leviticus and Exodus in these books. Um, there were utensils, right? Like forks and plates and bowls and pitchers and things, pretty average things. But they were called holy when they were given up for God's work, right? So these plates and pitchers and bowls were used for temple worship, and that made them special. That set them apart for some real special work. That's what our life can be like when we say, God, here's my life. Use it for whatever you want. It goes from being plain and natural to holy and special, given over for God's work. It's holy. Notice it's acceptable to God. Uh, that word there means well-pleasing to God. That should matter to us, that we please God in what we do. And a life given over to him as a living sacrifice is well-pleasing. But notice, lastly here, that it's your reasonable service. Or as some verses say, it's your reasonable act of worship. 
Uh, it just makes sense. In light of everything God's done for us, it just makes sense. I think it's what led Paul to call himself a bondservant. There's another term that Paul uses, bondservant, right? He, he signs his letters that way, Paul, a bondservant of Christ. And you'll remember what that bondservant is. A bondservant is a slave who's given freedom. That's important. A slave that's given freedom, saying, you know what? The debt is paid. Go where you want. Do what you want. You're your own person. That there in Exodus 21, that slave would be freed. Now, once that slave is freed, the debt's been paid, um, they're their own person, that slave can turn around and say, but you know what, Exodus 21, you know what, I love my master, I love my family, I love my master, he's been so good to me. That slave then could say, I want to serve my master for the rest of my life, not because I have to, but because he's just so good. Now, that could happen, right? And, and what they would do is they would take that slave to the doorpost of the house, kind of graphic. They would take it to the doorpost of the house and they would take a, you know, a, a, an awl. It's like a metal thing. You, punch, you know what it is, right? And they would pierce his ear and nail his ear to the doorpost of the house. Wow. They take it off, right? <laughs> but the symbolism there was that I choose to be attached to my master forever, the rest of my life. Willingly, not because they had to, but because out of love they got to. So check it out. Paul has this whole idea in, in his service. Come back. He has this whole idea in his service to the Lord. I've been set free from sin and slavery to sin. I'm my own person. But because of what God's done for me, he's a good master. I love him. I want to serve him with everything I have. And I think Paul would say, that's reasonable. Because God has loved us and purchased us and saved us, it's reasonable then to live my life totally for him. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, this is the Christian life, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, uh, and reasonable act of worship to live for him with everything that you have. Notice, though, I think it's important to see, lastly, the motivation here. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore. We don't use that kind of word, right? We don't say beseech. We don't tell our kids, I beseech you this morning, clean your room. <laughs> but, but we do say beg, right? And we have, at times, probably begged, you know, someone to help us, right? Beg. So check it out. Notice, Paul here says to his friends in Rome, in light of all these things that God's done, I'm going to beg you, offer your body a living sacrifice. And I think we see in this, it's our choice. It comes back to that. It's our choice. And Paul can beg all he wants, and these folks may or may not listen. It's totally up to them. It's their choice. It's our choice what we do with these things. But notice also the motivation there by the mercies of God. I'm begging you by the mercies of God. That sounds very formal as well. I'm begging you by the mercies of God. But 
But what are the mercies of God? They're everything that Paul's been talking about. Mercy, not getting what we deserve. God has mercy on us, even though we deserve death in our sin. God has mercy on us and he forgives us. God has mercy on us and he loves us. While we were still sinners, Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's mercy, not because we're good people, not because we've earned it, but because God is just so merciful and so compassionate. He's shown us so much mercy. Consider the mercies of God in your life, that he's patient with you. I have to consider that often. God, you're so patient with me. You tell me over and over again, and yet you still love me when I just do a face plan, you know? On purpose. <laughs> and, and, and yet he unconditionally loves us. He gives us a future and a hope. He gives us peace in difficulty. Think again this week about all God has done for us. The response should be that we offer our lives a living sacrifice. Just like someone who's rescued from certain death, Right? If you're walking down the street and you're crossing the street, you got your headphones on and you're just kind of, and you know, a car is about ready to hit you, but somebody pushes you out of the way. You know, we've all seen it in story form, right? You know, it would almost be, you know, ridiculous how much we would appreciate that. You know, we would go, oh, you saved my life. You, you know, even if it was just financially, somebody took care of us. How grateful we would be if we understood what was given for us. And yet God has saved us from certain death, certain judgment. God has saved us. If we really understood the mercies of God, the motivation to live our life for him would make a lot more sense. But sometimes we just don't realize it. And Paul here says, I beg you by the mercies of God, Present your bodies, your lives, everything, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so the big thing here is where we at, right? And, and, and this is time to really think about it. Where we at? Does our life look like a living sacrifice, or does it really have a lot of our fingerprints on it? Are we gripping onto it right now saying, but it's my life, it's my time, it's my everything? Well, we really need to consider, have we really believed? Have we really trusted? Because it's not just works. You know, a lot of times we can look at it and go, well, so I'm going to live my life like that, Right? man, I'm going to give my time for more good. And, and it's this thing of like, I'm going to earn salvation. Absolutely not what God's talking about. Absolutely not what Paul is talking about because he said it over and over again. Or say by grace, it's not of works. You can't earn your way there. But yet, when we really understand, when we've come to the cross, just like that sacrifice, when we've come to the cross and we've seen Jesus. Now check it out, the ultimate sacrifice that he loved us so much 
that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And we, in a sense, put our hand on him like that sacrifice. We put our hand on him and we say, this is what I deserved, the judgment of God, Um, the cross. We deserved it. And yet Jesus took our place and he bought us from slavery. When we really understand that, it has to change the way we live. We have to realize our life is no longer ours. And naturally then, our life ought to look like this living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And it just makes sense. Um, and that's the rest of the book of Romans. It's not really a list of things that we've got to like now. If we're going to be a living sacrifice, we need to do this. But things will look in our life and go, well, my life will change. It needs to change. It should change. Has it changed? And again, this is a good time to really consider where am I at in this salvation experience? Have I really accepted? Have I really seen? Do I really understand? God, um, I could talk for hours, and yet you know I can't do anything in any of our hearts. I can't get myself to even understand sometimes. But yet, God, how simple you make it that we come to the cross and we see the way you suffered, the way you died, the way you gave your life for us. God, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And yet you give it to us as a gift. God, your love is so amazing. Your kindness is so wonderful. God, I just pray that this week we would understand just a little bit more of what you've done for us. And that in understanding that, God, we would find it easier and easier just to live our life uh, for you as a sacrifice. God, uh, we need you and your spirit to work in our hearts. Uh, We're utterly desperate without you. God, do this work in us, even this week. In Jesus' name we pray.